You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Tom Goodwin, who is the author of Digital Darwinism, Survival of the Fittest in the Age of Business Disruption. He is the host of The Edge on Euronews and the founder of All We Have Is Now, a business transformation consultancy. Goodwin has been voted as the number one voice in marketing on LinkedIn globally four times with over 700,000 followers. Business Insider named him one of 30 people to follow on Twitter and Fast Company called him a must follow. His role is to understand new technology, consumer behavior and culture and create solutions that take advantage of these new opportunities. An industry provocateur, keynote speaker, and writer on the future of business, Goodwin has been quoted in The Economist, as some say, and The New York Times, and has appeared on CNBC. His writing has appeared in publications including The Guardian, TechCrunch, Forbes, Adweek, Marketing Week, The Drum, Digiday, Quartz, and the World Economic Forum, and most importantly, will be in a copy of Insight Magazine, produced by Canada Post, which you can subscribe to for free, and is also the keynote at Insights Canada Post's latest conference on marketing coming up right here this fall in Canada. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. Oh, it's great. So Insight Magazine, a physical piece that comes in the mail, which is very exciting. There's a new cover every time. They use beautiful art, inspiring case studies. What can we expect from your article in our latest copy of Insight Magazine? I'm talking a lot about integration. You know, the reality is that as time has gone on and we've added more and more channels that we can reach people on, agencies and clients have built out new structures every time something new came along. And we end up in this position where we have incredibly complicated client-side organizations and we have a kind of plethora of different agencies that we listen to. And as a result, things get really messy. And if you look at most companies' org charts, they are very much aligned around what they make and you know aspects like legal and things like finance. And they tend to kind of turn their back on consumers. So it's looking at a new way to think about marketing where we're much more holistic in our approach, where we consider lots of different touch points and we get people to talk to each other and we try to sort of orient ourselves around consumers. And if you look at many of the new technologies that we have, and especially the way that things like technology stacks are developing, you know, we've ended up in this place where we can do a lot better than we are. So it's trying to open people's minds and offer some ways for clients and agencies to think about the possibilities that happen in this new world. That's amazing. So marketing directors, CMOs, those with all sorts of beautiful marketing titles are listening right now. And wondering, how do I become Tom? How do you go from, say, working in marketing, whether it's agency side or brand side, to become a consultant, writer, keynote speaker? What's your advice to those that are thinking about that transition? Probably not to not want to be Tom would be my first bit of advice. No, joking aside, we live in a wonderful world where we are able these days, I think, to do a lot of different things and no longer are our careers things that sort of optimize and narrow. Um, it's actually relatively easy to make changes these days. You know, the world is full of sites like Shopify, where people can set up their own business quite easily. It's full of the chance for people to share their ideas on Twitter for free. 
So what I did, and I am not suggesting that other people follow this, but what I did is I got quite frustrated. Um, I could see incredible new technology that was offering us the chance to be much more respectful to our consumers, to be much more imaginative and much more ambitious in what we could make marketing. And I got quite frustrated, really, with the lack of ambition and the degree to which we were operating in old ways. So I slowly started asking questions, you know, how do we do better? What can we do that we're not doing? Why don't we do things more quickly? Why don't we get more excited? And I think I'm rarely saying something which is new or particularly profound or particularly smart, but what I am saying is stuff that other people, for various reasons, don't really want to say. And I think the fact that I have been able to express things that tap into people's tensions and tap into people's hopes and desires, I think, is what has allowed me to become someone that some people have heard of and some people listen to and some people like what I have to say. In particular, I've also tried to make the move away from the world of advertising and more into the world of marketing and then increasingly into the world of business because it's sort of dawned on me that our experiences of brands and our customer experiences that we get, the way that we interface with companies has actually become a lot more important you know, I, I care much less about an advert from Hertz telling me that they have great cars. I care much more about the experience of trying to extend a reservation or find a car near me. So I've tried to approach um, slightly more profound and core business topics over time, which I think is something that that would be the one part of what I'm doing that I would recommend. I think it's well worth marketers trying to become much more holistic with how they approach things, try to view things from a higher altitude and try to approach things from a customer centric perspective rather than looking at spreadsheets all day long. That's really helpful. Very great insight. If you could write a memo to all the brands, CEOs, CMOs, you know, organizations that bring you in to consult, and you could say, hey, here are three things that would set us up for a really good relationship. Like what, what do you, what are kind of like the ways in a sense to prepare the soil at a brand or at an agency to really leverage, you know, the superpower of a consultant? That's a very good question. I think in a way it's, it's much less about how they might work with me or, or any other consultant. And it's much more about them having a better perspective to see what they do what they're not doing, what they could do. I have this never-ending feeling that most clients wake up as a normal human being. And, you know, if they have kids, they'll be rushing around to prepare breakfasts and dropping kids off at school and thinking about the gymnastics lesson that's going to happen later on. And they wake up as a human being and then they used to drive to the office and increasingly they go to their kitchen table but they tend to then put on their marketing heads. And in their marketing heads, they forget what it's like to be a human. You know, they, they forget that they're not thinking about packaging all day long. They're not thinking about brand onions. They're not thinking about uh, response rates. They're just a person that has a time and place for communication. And I think the more that we can spend our time 
away from the details and the more that we can really empathize with what it's like to be another person, the better we can do our jobs. It's a particularly, in a way, there's, there's three exercises, I guess I'd, I'd recommend. One is think about your relationship with a completely different but equally significant brand. You know, so if you are in the business of tomato ketchup, you know, think about your relationship with an ice cream brand or with a vinegar brand or with a household cleaner brand and try and think, actually, you know, how much do I think about this? What's important to me? What do I wish this company did that's different? Because that's an equivalent um, situation. So that's my my first tip is to, to try to get out of your head and think about it from a customer's perspective. The second thing, I've got an activity called a change safari, which is quite boring, actually. It's just you go around the world and you just look at the things that have changed over the last five years. And we are surrounded by consultants telling us that 5G will change everything or the metaverse is the next big thing or NFTs are exciting. And if you go around the world, you realize that if you focus on all of the things that are different, you will find lots of examples But often they're quite small things. Often they're things to do with quite old technology, which is suddenly making a difference. You know, QR codes would be a good example at the moment. And you often realize that a lot of the world is quite similar, really. If you go down a supermarket shelf these days, you know, the size of products has not changed. The price points have not changed. The packaging hasn't really changed. The way that prices are communicated to you have not changed. The checkouts may have changed slightly, but it's a little bit reassuring in a way to see that we're not in this incredibly chaotic world. And the third thing, and this is actually quite patronizing of me to say, but I think we should spend more time focusing on, you know, company annual reports and, you know, read the Financial Times and watch CNBC and talk about the things that CEOs are talking about on their earnings calls. And you tend to realize that, again, a lot of the world is much more simple in a way, like a lot of the things that really matter are things like distribution. You know, they are things like supply chains. They are things like inventory management. And I think our whole industry has become so enamored with quite sort of fancy new stuff. So we love the idea of drones or we love the idea of robots or AI that we actually forget that, you know, right now, probably the thing having the biggest effect on your sales is supply chain issues. It might well be issues to do with regulation. It might well be to do with the fact that consumers are radically changing some aspects of their lives. And I think it's an exercise to really worth focusing on the, the bigger picture. That's really great. If you were to think of the last piece of mail you got or something, you know, in your mailbox, I don't know if you've got a PO box or something you know, comes <laughs> to your letterbox at your home or wherever. What was the last piece that you got that actually left an impression that you remember? And why do you think that was? Um, I am a very big fan of physical mail when it's done well. I really do feel that there are enormous opportunities for companies to add value in this way. Because I'm honest with the way I answer questions, I'm going to give a bad example. But I got a catalogue from a company called Parachute. And I think they make quite fancy sheets and duvets and stuff for the bedroom. And it was a very good example, really, for me of a company that's got lots of money and is very well celebrated. And it has a marvellous website and very nice products. But the catalogue itself was produced in a terrible way, where all of the products were photographed in a way where you couldn't really tell where they were. 
most of them didn't really have prices next to them. It would just have brackets of of where that product could be. There wasn't any way to actually buy from it. Like it was, it was completely extraordinary to me. Where you know they they wouldn't even name the product very well. So the idea that you would read that, then love the products, then go to the websites and buy them was flawed in many ways. And it was a very good example to me, I think, in the power of just a little bit of thought, really. You know, like, what is a picture that's going to make you buy a sheet? What is the information you need to have? How can you make it easy to go from the catalogue to being in a situation to buy it? And increasingly, we need to be aware that people have more money than they've ever had before to spend. It's a true fact that we seem to find obnoxious. And people have less time and their lives are more busy and chaotic and therefore Making things very easy to buy, making things very easy to buy again, and making it very easy to buy more. They seem like very simple ideas, but they're not things that we routinely talk about. You've been going into like brand and brand and, and, and discovering kind of the biggest pain points. Is there a common thread that you're seeing recently amongst brands and marketers at the moment? I want to sort of highlight the fact that I seem quite critical. Like, I think if I was a, a CMO or a CTO, re- like hearing me, I'd think, you know, God, this guy is really annoying and we know all this stuff. But a lot of it really, I think, has come down to two things. Actually, three things. For very good reasons, we are obsessed with change. So we talk about the changing world all the time. We talk about how it's changing faster than ever. We talk about how complicated it is. And I think we quite often use that as an excuse for inaction. And we quite often use that as an excuse for not making decisions. And in all reality, many of the things of life have really not changed. I mean, this idea that you might buy a mattress and it might come to you by the mail, but it's not a radically different situation. You're still caring about brands. You're still caring about how good the mattress is, etc. So not, not to be obsessed by the degree of change because it's not necessarily that great Two, to find simplicity wherever you can. Again, in this constant need to talk about new technology, we quite often forget about the basics. And I think the third thing is the sort of miracle of momentum, you know, actually getting to a place where you use meetings to make decisions, understanding that there are useful times to commit and to do that, to try to bring about action and do the simple things well and to join up thinking. You know, make sure that you're getting all the people in the room that you need, but make sure that you don't make things more complicated than they need to be. Oh, those are great insights. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. What gives you hope these days? What are you excited about for the future when it comes to you know, the stuff you're seeing? Because you have a very interesting perspective, getting to be that high level, you know, three five thousand degree level of seeing all these brands. But what are you seeing for the future? We are really excited about because that gives us all maybe us all hope really. I think we need a lot of hope now. I mean, I am I am so hopeful and I am so optimistic that I've ended up being criticized for being out of touch. But in this action of taking a step back from the world, there are many, many worrying trends and there are many problems that we are living in and that will be on our horizon. But I can't help but think that one Technology has always ended up being a good thing. It doesn't always appear to be at the time, but any technology that has been adopted in a meaningful way, it will have some drawbacks, but it also has many, many positive things. You know, the loom meant that people could leave very hard, dangerous jobs and apply value in different ways that made them happier. The ATM meant that automatic, you know, the tellers could move to more interesting relationship-based jobs. So I'm extremely enthusiastic about what technology can do and its ability to solve problems. And two, I have a lot of faith in the ingenuity of the human brain. We are not necessarily focusing that much on the wonderful things that are going on. I mean, look at the development of EV vehicles. We are changing the way that we create electricity. Look at the way that democracy is spreading the world. Look at the way that illiteracy is vanishing. So I think we should be much more aware of people doing brilliant things, whether it's Elon Musk or some unknown entrepreneur in Rwanda doing something with drones. We really need to focus on these things that are brilliant And thirdly, we should be aware that we have everything that we need right now. We have this obsession somehow in in the industry that it's about the next big thing. You know, if we have an AR headset, just think about what we can do. If we have virtual reality, if we have blockchain, if we have NFTs, you know, think of the stuff we can do. At the moment, we have these things called smartphones, and they are the most sophisticated thing we've ever known. They allow us to talk to anybody on the planet. They allow us to buy something within seconds. They are able to scan our eyes and our fingerprints to make things secure. They are able to take photographs. They are able to share brilliant moments. We have this incredible tool that even in a bad part of the countryside will probably have 3G. And that provides probably the greatest opportunity there has ever been to make customer service delightful and to make buying things feel brilliant and to get people to buy things that they enjoy more. And I'd like us to celebrate the things that we have not really got to grips with that are in all of our hands at the moment. 
That is great. Maybe what's something that you bought recently? Or you experienced maybe a service recently where the, the follow-up and the experience was thanks to technology. It was really great for you. It was, it was a delight. That's a very good question. I uh, still, at this moment in time, fly quite a lot. And I am amazed at how well-run airlines are, as long as you stick within certain rails. You know, so if you try to change your flight to another one that day, it's very easy. You know, if you try to move it to go from LaGuardia to Newark, it's it's not. Um, But generally speaking, I think airlines have done an incredible job of letting you yourself be in control of things. So it can be anything from Iceland Air having this amazing thing where you can bid on getting an upgrade for business class, which means that they're able to sell sort of perishable inventory for a premium still, or it's Delta Airlines, which let you change your flight on the same day for free just by sort of wafting your finger across the phone. American Airlines will let you speak to an operator quite quickly these days if you're above a certain tier on their frequent flyer program. But I see lots and lots of really exciting and very thoughtful applications of technology to make things better. And I think we often don't realize that like it's much more about the way things are done than what actually is happening often. Like if if I get a message um, an hour before I set off to the airport to tell me that my plane is going to be 37 minutes late, I'm absolutely fine with that. Like the level of precision makes me think they know what they're doing. The fact that they've told me before I set off to the airport is fine. It's about how we communicate this stuff. So managing expectations, uh, making it easy for people to talk to you, things like that are much more important than the actual hard thing uh, and the logistics that have been done. Really great insights. And thank you for sharing those. Big question. You were all around the world. You go London to Miami, maybe not traveling as much these days, but <laughs> yeah, what are you seeing about Canadians? What's your kind of encouragement or insight for Canadian brands, Canadian marketers for today? So putting on the spot a little bit there. I think in many ways, Canadians are in this fantastic position of almost representing the best of American optimism and the best of American self-determinism and a sort of focus on things in life that matter and being in control of your life and making things happen. At the same time, with a sort of European sophistication, a European sense of calmness, a sense of kind of balance. So I think in a way, you know, the very character of Canadians is fantastic. I don't I don't think much has changed over the years. I think um you know, we've all lived through a pandemic and we all have um, lots of interesting domestic and global political sort of tremors and chaos to deal with. But I think in many ways, this interim doesn't really matter. Again, I, I think I get in trouble for saying this, but, you know, if we look back on these times in about two, three, four, five years time, I think things have been sufficiently traumatic and that we will probably forget they ever happened. And this is not the entry to a very dark, dystopian future. This is a blip. So I think in a way people should feel comfortable in the fact that all of the feelings that people have about each other, all of the feelings that people have about other nationalities, all of the respect that we currently have for each other will still be there in the future. Really great. So keynoting, I got to ask, you know, you've been on stages, you've spoken in front of groups, you've been to all sorts of different venues. What's it been like switching over to 
you name the web host service, whether it's Zoom or they're using some new fancy hosting tool, what's been that transition like for you? And what's your tip to other people that are transitioning from meetings in person to over the computer? That's a very good question. I only really have one mode, which is to be honest, actually. And I'm I'm not a very ego-driven person. I did not get into keynotes because I wanted to. I got into them because people asked me to do it. But there is something wonderful about being at the same place as other people. And not just me being on stage, but being in the audience. You feel like you're part of this scarce moment in time where everyone is together around a shared purpose. There are often, you know, wonderful events in the morning before or dinners afterwards. Going to a conference, being given the privilege to address it and to then listen to other speakers and meet up with them later on is a wonderful experience. And it's something that I feel like I gain enormously from. Moving to Zoom has been really hard because everything doesn't feel real. Like you, you can't see people smiling. You can't see people, you know, poking fun at you. You can't see people looking pissed off with what you said. You get no feedback. There's no real sense of closure at the end of it. Like it, it kind of feels a bit like you're not even really doing it. And you certainly don't get that same sense of being around other people and having the chance to discuss with them later on. And I know that there are lots of attempts to create sort of augmented reality versions of conferences and there are side rooms and there are breakout places and there are sort of networking sessions and many people get real value out of those. My sister is a big fan of sort of Zoom meetings for networking and I personally, I my brain is wired in such a way where I just, I don't like that. Like I, um, I feel like I want to sort of, you know, give someone a glass of water and give them a hug and things like that. So I have missed an awful lot about it and I haven't really been that keen on doing many virtual sessions. My tip for other people really is to recognize that people, when they're at home, have the choice between watching your keynotes or watching the best shows on Netflix or listening to Grammy-winning artists. And you kind of are battling for attention with other people And so much about the modern world is less about the content that you're imparting and much more about the way that you're presenting it and being sure that you're compelling, being sure that you bring people in very quickly with something that gets people to focus. So you really need to think about this. And this is a very awkward idea, but you need to think about it more like being a TV presenter than being a kind of uh, speaker. Um, And that's an interesting challenge, I think, to move to. So for you right now, like traveling with books and and all that stuff, there's Kindle, there's, you know, Audible. What are some books that you're saying, man, marketers, people listening to the show, these are some of my favorite marketing books or business books that you'd highly recommend that are kind of must reads for you. I'm always amazed at how good the stuff done about 20 years ago was. I was actually talking about this with my editor of of my new book this morning because I keep on quoting from people, you know, who said amazing things in the 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. So I personally rather follow authors. Someone like Peter Drucker has amazing ideas and writes incredibly. Tom Peters does an amazing job of talking about concepts which feel very much alive today, but were actually written about sort of 20 years ago. He really is ahead of his time. I do quite like the work of Douglas Rushkoff, but that's a little bit more modern and a bit more subversive. And I think any reading that is less about marketing and more about the business world is is more useful, actually. So Greg Sattel has a great book called Cascades. Derek Thompson writes beautifully. 
I, I shouldn't really say this as an author, but I do tend to prefer articles over books. I, I think often, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather read sort of 20 amazing articles, which I'll probably learn, you know, 50 key points from. And that'll yeah. take me a tenth of the time it takes me to read one book, which often will have, you know, maybe five key points. So no yeah. disrespect to other authors or myself in saying that. And speaking of, we're on a podcast right now. So other podcasts <laughs> that you'd recommend or even e-newsletters that you subscribe to that you'd recommend? Yes, I'm a huge fan. There's three things I love in the world, actually. Twitter, because people make their points very quickly and they often link to articles and they often link to things that you would never normally read. You know, there are articles in publications like the Hedgehog Review or Tablet Magazine yeah. or Unheard or various places that you'd never normally dip into. So I'm a big fan of that. I have not listened to as many podcasts over the last two years as normal because I've not been moving around as much. I love the work of a guy called Rory Sutherland. I find... He's great. I, I, yeah. I tend to be drawn to people, really, actually, rather than particular podcasts. Okay. And do you find out where they're guest speaking and kind of track down where it, hear them being interviewed by other people? A little bit, yes. Again, it's, you know, the internet is a very remarkable tool and it's very easy to see the negatives in it these days. But actually the ability yeah. to discover someone that's brilliant, that maybe is a niche, and then to be able to follow them and to, to track them and to hear how they respond to people. Like it's, um, we really are in a very fortunate period of time. It's fabulous. Like I remember Brene Brown hosted Tim Ferriss and Dax yeah. Shepard on her show. Yeah. And it was kind of like the three great podcast hosts all together talking. And I just thought that was the neatest thing. Like where else can you get three <laughs> incredible people in a room so efficiently? Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's amazing. I have a very big love of events as well, actually. And there's a event series in the UK called the Do Lectures, where they tend to invite quite significant people to talk very honestly about their experiences. A guy called Gav Thompson runs a podcast version of that at the moment. So that would be something else that I would look out for. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So I heard you mention you've got a new book coming out. Can you give us any sort of like tease or preview, like little Costco sample that we can get a taste of. <laughs> in theory, it's an update of my old book. I went about this okay. in the wrong way. So they, they asked me to write a new book and I said no, because I was exhausted. Then they asked me to redo the book. And as I started to go through it, I basically wrote over everything I'd written before. Um, so effectively written a new book around the same themes. It's very much talking about the way that technology is giving us a chance to rethink many elements of our lives and business. The kind of subtitle for it is, what would your business look like if you set it up today? So wow. it's a very optimistic look at what are the things that are now possible? Um, how do we construct what our future should be? Maybe that's to change our business model, whether it's to change what we make, maybe it's to make new things. Maybe it's to treat staff differently. Maybe it's to take sustainability more seriously. It's looking at loads of themes like that and trying to offer more practical advice. Like when I wrote my first yeah. book, I, I knew that I didn't know what I was talking about. So it was much yeah. more about questions. And I still don't really know what I'm talking about, but I'm more comfortable in giving some potential answers. That's really exciting. And so will you do an audio version of this where you will talk and it will be an audible? Maybe. 
Yeah, maybe. I, I didn't do it. Like, uh, the, there is an audiobook of my book before, but I don't really like how they recorded it. So this time I've asked if I can do it myself. I think it's going to be quite hard to do. There's something very painful about reading your own book. Yes. And there's something quite vulnerable about um, speaking and having it recorded. So I might feel a bit overwhelmed, but I think I might give it a try. Yeah. And when you talk to people who have read your book, do you ever ask, like, did you get a physical copy or did you read a <laughs> Kindle or Audible? Like, do you figure out what format they read it in? I'm always amazed when people have read it, actually. Like, they're, they're so much about the world. Yeah, you don't really believe these things are real until you actually see it. So the first thing is I'm always amazed when people have read it. I always feel slightly embarrassed. And most of the people that I've spoken to have it physically but there's almost like groups of people. Like there's also a tranche of people that, you know, have long commutes and they tend to sort of listen to these things much more. I'm always intrigued to know, is the feeling of a book different when you're kind of turning the page? Like, does the information enter you in a different way? Do you write notes down and stuff? And, yeah. you know, maybe if you were to write an audio book rather than a book, maybe you'd think about it quite differently. I don't know. It's it's fascinating, the whole book world now, where like I, yeah. I got a physical copy of a book recently and I took notes all throughout it. I loved it. I wrote yeah. all over it. I folded the corners. But then if I, <laughs> I'm reading something else now in Kindle and I feel like I'm missing out. I, yeah. I actually, my wife and I are reading the same book and my wife has a physical copy and I want to go there so bad because there's so yeah. many great nuggets in it that I want to go back to and or even just chew on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a unique time. And you probably, I mean, there is this weird thing about a book where for some reason books have to be between sort of 60 and 100,000 words. And yeah. there are times when you think, actually, you know, this doesn't deserve to be that long. Or, you know, maybe this would be better broken up into three different things that were each 20,000 words. So in theory, like audiobooks offer you the chance to organize information in a different way. But uh, the publishing world is quite slow to change. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in Canada, one of our favorite artists, sculptors, and writers, Douglas Copeland, he, he's known yeah. around the world for coining the phrase Generation X, just yeah. came out with a book called Binge, 60 Stories to Make Your Brain Feel Different, based oh, wow. on the idea of people who binge watch shows. So he made a book that you can binge read. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's amazing. I love it when people challenge conventions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm curious. And then, of course, Malcolm Gladwell his audio version of Talking to Strangers yeah. was this enhanced audio. So we took what he learned from podcasting, put it into the audiobook world. And I never read the book, but I, I the audiobook was incredible because it had all those radio clips and news clips and it just made the the experience so much richer. So it's really cool. It can be done today. Yeah, that, I think that's brilliant because if you just take what we've done before and read it out, you know, that's great. But if you actually look at that medium and think, what can I now do? Uh, that's where it gets interesting, you know, like a, a Kindle, you know, the whole point of a Kindle is you could hyperlink out of it and, you know, take people to videos to embellish it. The whole point of an audio book is that, yeah, you can intersperse it with stuff like that. So I didn't realize that he'd done that, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah. I wonder if at some point you can click a button and because Kindle and Amazon and they have your mailing address, you could click a button and they will mail you something physical that you can look at or a chart of some sort. I recently subscribed to over COVID an escape room by mail. And so it's a oh, wow. series of, uh, at this point, it's eight episodes. They've, they've got their ninth just came out called escape mail. And you physically get a, an actual letter size envelope and then you pull the pieces out and you make an escape room experience. <laughs> and so you're interacting with this website and putting in codes that you discover using these papers and clues and you're cutting and taping. And it's, it's an incredible experience. And so I hear what you're saying, like the mix yeah. of physical 
paper with a digital experience gives a whole holistic uh, yeah, feel and touch. Stuff. You know, I mean, um, it's quite a cheesy way to bring things together. But in a way, the whole theory of integration is that you orient yourselves around a customer and their experience. And, you know, yeah. rather than taking an escape room and going, right, you know, let's have a virtual reality version of this because you can't come to a place. So actually, you know, to rethink what the feelings of an escape room are, like to rethink what the purpose of a book is, and then to create this experience which transcends these boundaries is amazing. So, you know, if you think about what an audiobook could become, like you may just get like a physical booklet with it, which gives you QR codes, which you can sort of use to join a forum where people can discuss the book, or that it might give you access to a, a Zoom where you can talk to the author or something like this is why I get so optimistic because you, you see all of this stuff yeah. and you hear an example like that, which is brilliant. And then you yeah. think we can do all this stuff and we can do it now. You know, that just used physical mail yeah. and a printer. There's an incredible indigenous poet writer here in Canada named Helen Knott, who wrote a book. And my wife was in a book club where they read this book. And one of the book club members reached out to her and just said, hey, would you be willing? And, and she surprised all the members. Will you be willing to in a sense, Zoom bomb my book club. And so they're all <laughs> meeting over Zoom. And then all of a sudden, yeah. this woman's like, hey, there's someone who wants to join us. Just one sec. And then Helen Knott appeared amazing. Yeah. live, the author. And so people were shocked and amazed and they were crying together. And and she, as the author, loved it. And she was live tweeting the experience and it got picked up by the CBC. But it's it's incredible what can be done today. Yeah. And that's a really nice way to think about the, you know, we're in this weird period and it has created these new constraints. And one of the things that's sort of opened up is this idea that you can do that, you know, even if you did it for 10 minutes or something. And that works well for everyone. I think as an author, the idea that you might join a group of people that are passionate about what you've done, you know, that's the, that's the best hour of your day, I think. So that's wonderful yeah. to hear about. Well, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? And where can they get your current book and look for your new book? Yeah, I think I'll probably come up fairly well if you search for Tom Goodwin. Um, all we have is now, maybe Tom Goodwin, a publicist, my old employer. I think I'm Tom F. Goodwin on Twitter. And I think I might be the same on LinkedIn. And then my book is called Digital Darwinism. Um, and it should sort of come up on Amazon and places like that as well. But Tom F. Goodwin is the best thing to search for. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing with our audience today. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thanks everyone for joining us this time on Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.